From KIOS in Omaha and Exorbin Creative, you are listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Sarah Johnson, who is running to represent District 1 on Omaha's City Council. I, I have just two two more friends this last week are like, I'm moving to Chicago. I'm moving to Seattle. I'm like, oh gosh, it breaks my heart. But also I don't really blame them. It's, it is hard to stay here when you are someone that um, wants a little bit more progress and you just, you know, honestly, better transit, a world-class city has ways to get around without a car. Stagnation versus innovation. That seems like what all of these visions of Omaha come down to. And Sarah Johnson is no exception. Stay tuned for my conversation where we learn about her life leading up to running for city council, as well as her vision for the city. We'll be back with that right here on Riverside Chats. You're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Sarah Johnson as we continue to explore the people who want to represent you who have a vision for the city that they cannot sit around and wait to happen on its own. The people who need to get in there and try to make the change that they want to see. So Sarah Johnson tells her story about, you know, she's known as the bike lady, the bike girl, and she didn't like me calling her that because she's about so much more than that. So she clarifies who she is, where she came from, how she got to be the person she is, and what she thinks the city can be if it embraces progress and leaves behind the stagnation, the status quo. So here's my conversation with Sarah Johnson. All right, so uh, the the thing with you, it seems like, uh, having looked a little bit into your website and knowing a little bit about you just from living in Omaha and being part of the Benson community is bikes, right? So where does does the whole bike thing start for you? I assume you must have had a bike as a kid. Yeah, my mom and dad like to take credit for my bike obsession. Uh, They like to tell a story about how when I was four years old, they took me on like a five mile bike ride, which is kind of almost like, yeah, it shocks me at this point. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine being that little and going on that long of a ride. But yeah, so of course they they also think, yeah, anytime anyone thinks that I'm cool or have good ideas, it's directly because of them. So I will give them a <laughs> high five, mom and dad. You uh, you are to blame or thank for my bike situation. But yeah, other than that, um, I think the story goes this way for a lot of folks. You know, you turn 16, you get a driver's license, and you kind of forget about your bike for a minute. Well, I rediscovered my bike when I was going to school. Um, I actually went to school for broadcast journalism. Oh, okay. um, so used to actually have a radio show on 90.3 KRNU oh, so you, years you, ago. You can tell me where I'm messing up and, and fix, uh, fix yeah, my right. form. No, no, not at all. Uh, but I did get hooked on bicycles again when I was going to school in Lincoln because, um, you know, one too many parking tickets and you're like, gosh, this isn't a great idea. Um, and Lincoln's flat. It has connected bike like paths that actually get you someplace instead of just like, oh, here's here's a random piece of pavement along a creek. Um, it's actually a network that's designed for transportation, which is pretty cool. So um, yeah, it just made sense. I got into, uh, actually, I bought a bike back in the day, you know, before the internet, you'd see just a poster in a dorm with like a pull this number and call for this ugly gray bicycle for $100. And I was like, ooh, $100. It's a lot for a bike, which now like I have a saddle that costs $100. Anyway, so I went and I got the bike and I took it into... Um, a local bike shop to get it tuned up. And they laughed at me when I told them I paid a hundred dollars for it. And I was like, Oh no, I got ripped off. And they're like, no, you probably bought a stolen bike. Uh, this is a really cool vintage specialized dump jumper, chromoly, blah, 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 you know, bike nerd stuff. Um, but then I was like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I did. I, I knew that. Yeah. This bike's <laughs> super cool. Um, so then I kind of just started riding it for fun, uh, for transportation, certainly. And then kept going to that bike shop. And eventually they were like, Hey, you're here all the time. Do you want a job? I thought, you know what? I'm working at a restaurant where my boss can't keep his hands to himself. Yeah. I'll take a job at a bike shop. So, uh, gratefully had that opportunity open up. And then I turned into kind of like the token bike shop girl. And I started racing for the team and leading group rides. And you know, that was almost 20 years ago. So uh, certainly has evolved since then. And now it's kind of just turned into, you know, I love bikes because they bring people together that I might not normally have gotten a chance to talk to. So, uh, usually comes back to people for me. I really, that's, that's definitely community takes, takes the cake for me. Um, but bikes are just kind of a conduit. Yeah. Well, so, so you, it's not like the first time you learned how to ride a bike, you were like, this is the future. I'm going to, I'm going to turn bike culture mainstream. 
You know, no, at four years old, I don't believe I was thinking quite along those lines. Uh, I Again, like back back to the, the story at Lincoln, I recognized how much easier it was to get around, um, how I could park right outside of where I was going. It happened to be good for me. It happened to be good for the planet. It happened to be cheaper. I mean, it just, there's like so many reasons to ride a bike compared to the reasons not to for me, especially in Lincoln. Omaha, yeah. the, the temperature here is a little bit different. You know, the the respect I feel uh, of road users here is just a little bit different. Um, mm. And then, you know, fast forward to when everyone's on a cell phone, that certainly changes the game as well. Um, well, yeah, so they're, they're, they're mad that you're on the road if you have a bike and they're not even looking for you at the same time. Simultaneously, they're mad and not aware. And then they're also mad if you're on the sidewalk. And then they're also mad, you know, they're just, yeah, they're just mad if you're on a bike. So part of that, I think, comes down to, um, you know, spreading the word to everyone, everyone that's listening. Hopefully, if you don't know, now you do. Uh, bikes are allowed to ride on the road and we are supposed to follow all the laws as well. You know, I, I tell people I have done a lot of courses over the years where I'm training new commuters and that sort of thing. And I tell people to ride like you're a bike cop, you know, signal all your turns, stop at every stop sign. Uh, I used to host potlucks called Pedal Happy Potlucks at the shop. And we, my, my concept with Pedal Happy was at a point if like, you know, we're doing all the right things when we're, we're driving our bikes, um, signaling, stopping at stop signs, waving and smiling at everybody. I'm a big fan of eye contact and just like. I like talking. You're going to find that out shortly here, Tom. Um, but, you know, you get to interact with people in a, in a much more personal level when you're on a bike. You get to talk to folks that are walking their dog. Or one of my favorite memories riding to school in Lincoln was I rode through this park and these cute little old ladies with their metal detectors, you know, like little interactions uh, are just so much more pleasant when you're not locked in a steel box going, you know, 50 miles an hour through a place. You really become kind of more aware of the place and you're, you're, you're part of it. So just changes your perspective. It seems like Lincoln is, uh, it's got kind of a, a slower attitude, slower sort of metabolism than Omaha. Like Omaha, I'm, I'll be driving to work at like 6.30 in the morning and there's a pickup truck behind me every day that's like, you know, right up behind me in a rush. And I just, you know, like all the time I'm sort of thinking like, what, what is the rush right now? What do you have to go do? I don't think there's that much. Like I'm, I, I maybe I drive like an old person, but it's my fault. But uh, thank you. No, that's good. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race, right? Like, let's just get there alive. How about that? Yeah, like, I I'm, think that, uh, Ooh, we got a long ways to go when it comes to respecting each other on the road. So I think it's good that you drive oh, thank, slow. That's, thank you. It's all right. <laughs> so, you know, this will get me into my tangent about Vision Zero, how Omaha just hired a Vision Zero coordinator, which is great. Uh, the focus of that position is to help people get around safely and decrease the deaths and serious injuries on the road. So I'm excited um, for him. I am hopeful. He is uh, positioned in the public works department. So We'll see how that goes. But yeah, ideally, everyone will realize that we're all just trying to get from A to B. We can respect each other. And uh, then, you know, a lot of times street design comes into factor as well, because you don't, if you're not able to speed because the road is designed as such, you don't have wide roads that look like freeways through, you know, the middle of a neighborhood. That helps too. <laughs> It, there's a lot of optimism in that, right? That people will respect each other, that uh, the city will be redesigned. And I, oh. I wonder, I mean, I'm not uh, much of a bike enthusiast, but I, I'm very cynical, I feel like, sometimes about uh, the city actually taking some of this stuff seriously. How do you stay optimistic even then to the extent, and maybe it's the motivation for uh, taking it into your own hands and starting to run for things? You nailed it. Yep, I'm, uh, you know, for as many years as I've been working towards some of these things and for like the amount of progress that we have and have not seen, uh, it is hard to remain optimistic sometimes. But I think that, you know, when you look at other cities, this isn't rocket science. This is not a really hard thing to accomplish. We have the data. We know the trail use numbers are through the roof before COVID, but especially with COVID. Um, we have action plans we just don't have the political willpower to put a lot of this into action. The action piece is missing. So we have the data, we have the plans, we don't have the willpower. And I don't know if it's that it's easier to be complacent. You know, if you're, if you have your eye on a particular seat, you know, politically, I, I don't know. Uh, so I am interested to get in there and figure out what the holdup is on some of this. And um, I am an action oriented person and 
yeah, that's part of why I'm running for sure is because I think that we've got, again, I just can't, I'm so sick of surveys. I am so sick of surveys. I've taken the surveys. We have the information. I've been saying yes to these same things for a decade. And we're still having the conversation that we've had for the last decade. And I'm into conversations, but I'm also into taking that to the next step and implementing some of it. Well, yeah, I think that that's part of why it's hard to stay optimistic because if you look at polls for a lot of things, whether it's local or whether it's national, it just seems like, the conversation has been stagnant, whereas the views, uh, the popular majority seems to have moved past a lot of the conversations. And so I, it's hard to diagnose exactly where the dissonance is or how to fix that. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm applauding the fact that you, you still seem to have a lot of enthusiasm, at least as you talk about this. And I, I imagine as far as motivation goes, it helps that you do have a little bit of a background in broadcasting, right? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of what I've been talking about with with folks is communication, right? Like we we have a little bit of a lack of communication from the city. That's one of the big things that I'm excited to get in there and change. I think we need to kind of shift towards um, just a culture of more collaboration and communication. Right now, it feels pretty top down. And I think that it's important to have more dialogue and actually be a better listener. And uh, that's something that I'm excited to to try to shift when I get in there because, you know, from from stuff like you have to request an ASL interpreter 24 hours in advance. Like that's, you're just discounting an entire segment of the population. Um, meetings at two o'clock on a Tuesday, that's not very conducive. It seems like a lot of these barriers are put up by design. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, all of this can be fixed overnight, certainly, but I think that there are some new ideas that are going to be able to be implemented if some, some new leadership gets into those seats. I, you know, yeah. I show up on a lot of Tuesdays at city hall and, um, you know, testifying about whether it's budgeting concerns or ADA ramps or bike lanes or whatever it may be. And, you know, you've got <laughs> three minutes and you just kind of scream into the void and then they vote the same day. And it's like, how did you digest what all of your constituents just brought to you? And then you're going to vote right away. I don't know. I just think there's there's a lot of a lot of little tweaks that could make it a lot more accessible and a lot more, uh, you know, just the communication piece would really be improved. Were you uh, political as a kid? Did you was it like a political family or anything? No. Uh, I mean, I've always had opinions and I've always hoped for more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of folks are not surprised that I'm running for a city council. Like I'm more surprised, I think, than, than half of my customers are like, oh, we were waiting for this. I'm like, oh, really? Huh, okay, here we go. Uh, but no, I mean, I was not, you know, my mom was a realtor. My dad worked with sales for electrical controls. Like I, I wasn't uh, raised with much in the way of politics, but I have, you know, I've volunteered since I was a kid. I've always had like um, a strong sense of community, I think, you know, I really, and I always, I just think that we can do better. Like I have ideas. I see it happening elsewhere. These aren't, you know, I'm not necessarily crazily innovative. I'm just looking at what's happening somewhere else and saying, why can't we do that here? I lived in Colorado for a number of years. Um, I actually had a bike and coffee shop there as well. And I remember the first time I was visiting my then boyfriend um, and I saw a share the road sign. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. They like, they acknowledge that people on bikes can exist peacefully on the road with car drivers? Where is this? Uh, so, you know, you travel, you, you know, whether it's Colorado or Paris this last, you know, before everything locked down, um, grateful enough to, to spend a little bit of time elsewhere. And you kind of start thinking, hey, you know what? Some of these ideas aren't radical. They're just a little different than what we're seeing right now in Omaha. And we, we see the benefits of so many of these ideas. They're, you know, financially beneficial, Bikes can be a conservative issue. It costs a lot less to build and maintain bike infrastructure. And it's not really just about bikes, right? It's about looking at the transportation system holistically. I think that's something that we really get um, kind of caught up on is like potholes for cars, streets are for cars. It's like, well, we're all just trying to get around town. So look at what's happening elsewhere, tweak it a little bit, apply it to Omaha and actually just do something. Well, that, that's something a lot of people don't make it out of Omaha um, or Nebraska. That's true. So you, you made true. it out. What, what brought you back? Oh, well, how much time do you have there? No, uh, to be to be quite honest, divorce. <laughs> I moved back and I lived in my parents' house for a little while and I was pretty sure I was just going to move right the heck out of town again because I'm not going to live in Omaha. No, no, no. And then I was like, well, you know what? Omaha has a lot of potential. Um, I don't want, you know, I'm from here. I grew up in District 1 um, and I didn't want to have to leave my hometown. You know, I'm pretty close with my family. Um, I do like Omaha because it's kind of in the middle of everywhere. It's easy to travel places. Uh, and I just thought it would be 
pretty cool to stay in Omaha and turn it into a city that I wanted to live in rather than just move to a city that already had all the things that I was looking for. And, you know, sometimes I feel like kind of a glutton for punishment because it has been an uphill uphill battle in a lot of cases, but I know that I'm not alone. And I, you know, with, with this announcement of running for city council, uh, I've been just overwhelmed by support um, by people that also think that this is maybe not a bad idea. I don't know. Depends on the day if I'm like, wow, what did I get myself into? But again, I just think that Omaha has a lot of potential and just not enough progress. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Sarah Johnson today, who is running to represent District 1 on Omaha's City Council. In talking to people running in this municipal election, the central theme seems to be uh, stagnation and what do we do about it? And why, a little bit of why does it exist, right? And so it does seem like change is the scary thing, more so than the ideas for change a lot of the time. And I don't know why there's that element of complacency in Omaha. Uh, what what do you think has been holding Omaha back for so long? Ah, that's a great, I call it status quo Maha sometimes. I think I've coined the term. I'm not sure. Like Somebody it. correct me if I, yeah, thank you. Um, I don't know. I think it's like, you know, we get into that Nebraska nice thing and uh, it's, it's easier to just do nothing. Um, I think kind of it's that ignorance is bliss situation where there are a lot of folks that are in the decision-making seats that are doing just fine. So they're not motivated. You know, they, they can just either, my experience has been not respond to their constituents or say, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. And I just don't think that's true. Like, I just think that there is stuff we can do about it. And I don't like that answer. And so, um, I think part of it is just, yeah, political willpower. It's, it's easier, you know, again, if you've got kind of political climbing on your agenda to just take the easy road and just, you know, easy does it status quo. It's, I don't know. I think it was kind of funny when the, the slogan, Omaha, we don't coast. I'm like, yeah, right. That's what we do here. <laughs> like, I don't know about that, but. <sighs> well, and, and it seems to me that uh, partisanship does a lot to promote people not actually having to talk or have ideas because yeah once once you're in a safe seat with this in the right party then you really don't ever have to have that discussion because you you can not show up to work and people will vote for you uh that's definitely what i'm discovering so i'm a registered independent um i i have been a democrat in the past um i'm you know rather progressive but i i think that party politics can really slow things down so that's you know i'm i'm proud to be an independent because i really want to put people over party. And I think that sometimes, you know, like it is, it is tough when my opponent's part of the democratic machine and there's a lot of good ideas there and that's fine, but it's just like, whoa, the resources that are there, um, people don't really sometimes seem to care so much about policy or good ideas. It's like, oh, you don't have the right letter behind your name. So I'm yeah. going to just immediately discount you. And that's frustrating. Like I, I'm a big fan of um, conversation and honesty. And I think that if we're being honest with ourselves in order to see some of these things happen, we have to get a little bit less hung up on party and more just about the ideas that we want to see, especially, I mean, city council is a nonpartisan race. So right. I don't, you know, especially in cases like this, I think that hopefully the voters I'm talking to are ready for something a little bit different. Yeah, I think one of the most annoying things to me about Nebraska is that we actually, the unicameral and the nonpartisan focus that we have in a lot of our uh, our government is uh, ignored in favor of people who really want to make it partisan because it's easier to do it that way, uh, mm -hmm. including our governor. You know, it's just... Oh. I, I don't, I don't, we, we actually have a really good idea. It'd be nice if we embraced that a little bit more in spirit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of potential if we could just get over ourselves sometimes. So what happened with the uh, broadcasting? What, what made you move away from that? Well, frankly, I, back to politics and yeah, broadcasting, they kind of uh, played too closely together for me, I guess, to be honest with you. I realized that um, a couple things, one I like the people part of it and I like stories and I like listening. Um, but I don't like that sometimes the media is controlled by politicians or money. You know, um, I, I like individuals doing like stuff like what you're doing, you know, like little independent. I like I appreciate what noise is doing mm -hmm. North Omaha information support everyone like um, I like independent journalism. I, I journalists and journalism in general. I think that's crucial to a democratic society. Um, but I just didn't, you know, I had a job offer right out of school to go be like a, a news anchor in Grand Island. And I said, no, thank you, because I knew that I didn't want to live in a smaller town than Lincoln. <laughs> um, and I just kind of 
You know, honestly, I got hooked on bikes. I worked at the Lincoln Journal Star for a little while uh, in newspaper advertising, which was not my jam. I can sell bikes all day long because I think they'll save your world. But advertising? No, not not so much. Um, and yeah, the broadcasting piece, I just um, I kind of got into it originally as a joke because I wanted to be David Letterman. Uh, I didn't really want to be David Letterman. I wanted a woman. I'm basically like, I'm so excited that Amber Ruffin is doing her thing now. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I wanted to see. Um, I went, you know, I graduated in 2003 from Lincoln and I was like, oh, there needs to be an independent, cool, like progressive woman who is doing late night talk because I'm like David Letterman. All right, you're cool. Um, but it's like all these old white guys and, I don't know. That's just kind of the same opinion regurgitated with different, different voice slightly. Um, but I wanted a different perspective. And so I thought that if I went to school for that, I could help produce something like that. And then, yeah, quite frankly, I just got totally enamored with the almighty bicycle and the rest is history. Did you try comedy to try to go into the, the David Letterman, Letterman realm? No, I um sometimes oh I did get best sense of humor uh, senior superlatives that's like my oh, only nice. claim to fame. Um yeah. It's tough to be but funny I, in high school too. I mean it's, it's yeah. not a, not a fun time generally. No, funny looking. My dad's always like you got a face for radio. I'm like real nice dad. <laughs> anyway, um but no the comedy thing like I you know I like to crack myself up, but I'm not sure that anybody else really wants to listen to what I have to say. I actually um I started a podcast so I I am cracking myself up with my friend Josh LeBure, who's doing um, the production and he's co-hosting it with me, but it's called Car Free Midwest. Um, and I think, you know, like a lot of people think, oh, she's the bike girl. And like, yes, I love bikes, but it's really about kind of mobility equity. It's mm. bigger than just the bicycle. It's about the fact that if you live in Omaha and, you know, the Midwest, it's called Car Free Midwest. So we're, we're talking to folks in and outside of Omaha, but I think that it's kind of I don't want to say criminal, but it's really unfortunate that you have to be in a car in this city to be able to function completely. You know, like it's, oof, I've, we've talked to somebody that's um, a wheelchair user a few weeks ago, uh, you know, when there was all these snowstorms happening and Omaha doesn't maintain their sidewalks and people don't shovel. And then if you are not completely able-bodied, you aren't going anywhere. And it's tragic. I think it's just really, um, it's a big equity issue. So I do, you know, love bicycles, but I think it's really more about just making sure that people are accommodated no matter their financial or physical ability. And we're just not looking at like, like we should in Omaha right now. Well, okay. Sorry. I introduced you basically starting this as, oh, so you're the bike girl. Let's talk about that. That's okay. I am, you know, what I'm, what I'm getting a lot over the last few months of talking to folks is like Sarah Johnson. Oh, that's Sarah Johnson. Yeah. The bike shop. So it's like, you know what? Yes. I'm the bike shop, Sarah Johnson. That's fine. That's how folks know me. And I do love bicycles, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shy away from that too much. I just think that uh, gratefully I ran into somebody the other day who was like, you know, I thought you were just gonna be a single issue candidate, but then I looked at your website and you actually do have a lot of good ideas and it's not just really about bikes. And I'm like, no, it's not about bikes. It's about people and communication and collaboration and, you know, and, 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 but. I'm talking with Sarah Johnson, who is running to represent District 1 on Omaha's City Council. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and let us know what you think. We'll be back with more of the conversation after this break. Welcome to Back Row Center, a podcast from Filmstreams, an art house organization in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm Filmstreams Communications Director Patrick Kinney, and I'm joined by Dana Ryan, Filmstreams Development Manager, and Diana Martinez, Filmstreams Artistic Director. Dana, will you tell us more about what to expect from Back Row Center? Every month, the three of us will come together to talk about what's happening at Filmstreams and in the larger film world. Our theaters are places where we use film to put different art forms in conversation with each other and springboard important discussions about identity, politics, and art with moviegoers of all ages. We're excited to bring these conversations to you in a brand new format and hopefully have some fun in the process. As many of you may know, we've been going nonstop since our closure in March due to coronavirus. From our slate of virtual events and Q&As to weekly new releases available on our site, we're excited for a more personal way to bring you all in closer to the heart of our organization by hearing straight from the people behind the scenes. You'll get to know the three of us, as well as the rest of the Filmstream's crew, as this podcast develops. Even though we're closed, we still believe in the power of film as a collective, communal experience. So subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you listen, and we encourage you to tell us your thoughts about future topics, the films we talk about, and stuff we need to watch through our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Filmstreams everywhere. Until next time, we'll see you in the best seats in the house, Back Row Center. Back Row Center.
And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can always find our most recent 50 episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review today, or become a patron over at patreon.com slash riversidechats to get access to the full backlog of conversations where fascinating people talk to me. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Johnson, who is running to represent District 1 on Omaha's City Council. Here's the rest of our conversation. It's kind of a curse and a blessing when you, when it first dawns on you how interconnected every problem is, especially like, it's like in the world for sure, but okay, like limited to a city. Why does this problem exist? Because, you know, five other problems, some of those have a lot of historical roots and a lot of them are very difficult to solve. So we can pivot now from the bikes to uh, what what is your vision for what what are some of the either interconnected issues you see that need to be addressed or just what, what could be changing? Yeah. Um, So I think the intersectionality of environmental justice, mobility justice, and racial justice um, that, you know, if you're looking at redlining maps, you're unfortunately still seeing a lot of the same disparities that we saw all those years ago right now. Um, You know, Dr. Adipur this last year declared COVID and racism as a dual public health risk, risk, emergency, actually. And we're doing, uh, you know, a decent job with COVID, but we're not talking about racism. I'm upset with that. If we're going to call it an emergency, it's something that we need to be addressing regularly, consistently, and with impact. And I don't see that happening. I don't know if I'm missing something, but I, you know, we wrote a letter to George Floyd's family saying, our thoughts are with you. That's not enough. We have a huge problem in our own backyard. And I talk about courageous conversations because it's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to really necessarily talk about the fact that it's 2021 and Omaha is extremely segregated. I said it. I think we need to continue to say it. It's not going to get fixed if we don't focus on it. And part of that, you know, I'll bring it back to roads and the intersection there. We are using streets in this community to divide our neighborhoods. We need to use our roads and streets to connect communities. And it's just, that's one way that we can talk about, you know, segregation um, and ways around it. Um, But I think also just being really intentional with the ways that we're having these conversations and who we're putting in positions of leadership and actually how we are, you know, like uh, what I always think about is the little committees that the mayor puts together. They could be really impactful if she actually took their advice. You know, if you disagree with her, she just removes you from the board. I actually had that happen to me. I used to serve on the Benson BID board um, until I had some ideas about the streetscape that I guess didn't line up with her vision. um, And so I was removed. So I think it's just courageous conversations. I keep coming back to that because it's like, you know what? We're not actually going to be able to become a more connected welcoming, inclusive city if we don't address some of these things. And we can't just get scared and push away. We have to say, ooh, this is uncomfortable, but you have to get close to the struggle before you can actually understand it. And I just don't think that um, that's happening right now, but I think that it could. And I think that there are a lot of people right now that are running. Uh, Part of the reason I ran is because I was so inspired by literally every other district had someone running that I was like, ooh, I'd like to support them. And that wasn't happening in my backyard. So I stepped up and said, okay, well, first I should say, I tried to find someone else to run because I didn't really, you know, I'm an activist, I'm an advocate, I'm a community builder, I'm not a politician, but everybody else, you know, has kids and with COVID and, you know, homeschooling, Zoom schooling, whatever, people don't have the capacity. And I'm working for Mode Shift right now, part-time, and I have a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of passion and the time, and I'm going to actually use when I win, that's going to be my full-time job. I'm not going to be working full-time at, you know, a hospital during a pandemic, um, like my opponent who again, not the worst, but could be better. So, so yeah, it, it's so much work. I imagine to run for any kind of office and especially during a pandemic where it's not really clear what the rules are for how to do it effectively. So, I mean, what, was there a specific moment where you finally had to fully commit to like, all right, this is me. It's gotta be me. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah, there was. Uh, It was, I mean, it it was kind of a slow build, but, um, you know, for years, my customers, which I was was like, yeah, right, knock it off. Um, But they're like, you should run for something. You should run for city council. You should run for mayor, whatever. Um, So, you know, I definitely have had a lot of encouragement and support over the years. And we used to use the shop as kind of like an advocacy hub where we would, you know, come up with 
game plans usually around mobility and bring them to city hall or whatever the case may be. Um, but then, you know, after I shut the shop down in 2019 for some health issues that are gratefully behind me, um, I got married last year, had another surgery last year, and then was like, gonna get a job, figure out what the heck that looked like. And then <clears throat> COVID happened. And my two part-time jobs that I did have, I was working for the Benson Neighborhood Association, helping them produce an event, um, the indie race. And then I was working, uh, doing some freelance writing for actually a construction company, doing interviews and because I like writing and talking and communication. Um, and then COVID happened and that all went away. And then the summer of 2020 happened. And whew, if you were not changed by the events of last year, I'm not sure you were paying attention. Uh, and I just got to the point where I realized, you know what, I have the privilege to be able to be, I, I was just able to kind of be strategic with what I wanted to do next. I didn't have to get a five, you know, a job super quick. I was able to kind of step back and say, you know what, maybe this really is the right time. Um, I don't have kids. I don't have a full-time job. I don't have any excuses really. And um, I just heard it one too many times. And I had people that were like designing logos for me before I even decided I was going to run. I had people, you know, my husband, Scott Blake is an artist, but he's also a total data nerd. He loves spreadsheets. I do not love spreadsheets, um, but that's crucial, you know? So like all of these people just stepped up and said, why are we not doing this? And that's, that's the real thing. It's not about me. It's about we. And so here we go. But the, the moment where I was like crying my eyes out and saying, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to do this was um, listening to Amanda Gorman's beautiful poetry on the day of the inauguration. And I was just, that was, I was like, all right, everybody else said no. I was him and Han. And then that happened. And I was really inspired. And um, again, back to being inspired by all of the progressive women running across the city. I was just like, wow, this is, this is the time. Um, and to try it back to the spreadsheets, like Scott and I uh, were looking, and this is the first time in history that a woman has run in every district and for mayor. So pretty exciting yeah well and i uh i it feels like uh the, the message is kind of similar how everyone's going about it is a little bit different but this idea of uh the emphasis on we of bringing people mm -hmm. together because i think yeah. everyone can kind of agree that omaha has not tried that hard to be a we or to have a collective identity um and th that brings me to my next question which is it almost seems like you do have to convince omaha or enough of omaha to want to share an identity. And I'm not sure that they inherently do. So how, how do you go about that? Well, I have an interesting idea that might not be popular, but I'm, I'm comfortable with unpopular opinions. Um, I think that, you know, we have a strong mayor form of government right now, and it is a very disconnected city. And, you know, I mean, ideally we will have a new mayor who is going to really have a plan to bring the city together. Um, I'm really, again, inspired by all of the women that are running for city council seats and um, and district two, it's actually Jonathan Lathan, not a woman. Um, but there's a lot of teamwork going on already going into this election. And I think that that's really exciting. Um, and either A, we rewrite the structure and we, we turn it into either a hybrid or strong council form of government because it is such a disjoint, a disconnected city right now. And one person shouldn't be making decisions when they live in a gated community in West Omaha and aren't a part of the city. It does feel hard to, to feel like we're one city or yeah, we get, so we get a mayor that brings us together or we get a council that stands up to the mayor and rewrites the playbook and says, you know what, since we are such a diverse city right now, it makes most sense to have the representation be the council. Are there cities that do it that way that you've encountered or looked at for, as a model? Um, there, I'm drawn a blank on a specific city that has done it, but I know that there, there's definitely three different ways in a hybrid, strong mayor, or strong um, council. And I think Minneapolis is the one that I'm thinking that's um, strong council. But there, yeah, there's, there's, that's the, something that's always interesting to me is looking what's what working elsewhere. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have to reinvent the wheel. These aren't necessarily new ideas. It's just maybe new to Omaha. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we, we talked already, but uh, it's like a lot of people just don't uh, don't get out of Omaha, don't really look outside of Omaha. And uh, if they do, it's it's scary because it's different, <laughs> even if it seems like it works well for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is tough sometimes. 
Okay, so on your website, I'm looking through some of your priorities, um, and I know you mentioned a climate action plan for Omaha, and this is something that is another thing where, as far as I can tell, outside of bigger recycling bins, I, I don't see a ton going on that's directly addressing climate change. So what could Omaha be doing, or what maybe what is it already doing that works or doesn't? Yeah, I think that, um, again, back to like we can't, fix what we won't focus on. So we have to address it. We have to say, okay, climate change is real. It's happening. It's caused by us. And there is hope, you know, like it's not all doom and gloom. We can actually get our get our act together and come up with a sustainability plan, a climate action plan. Um, there's a few different ways to do it. There's a lot of different moving parts, of course, but, um, you know, you, you brought up recycling. Sure, that's part of it. But reduce, reuse recycling. Recycling is last on the list. Um, but Another thing that kind of brought me to want to run is with all the recycling stuff, uh, the new contract, but they moved the bulk recycling all out of the 80 loop. Like there's either mole halls or downtown and the majority of the people, you know, there's not recycling in the heart of the city. I think that seems kind of strange. Um, but uh, other other ways we can do <clears throat> addressing the climate situation, I'll, I'll bring it back to mobility. When we continue to build wider, faster streets for cars, what are we going to get? More cars. And we know that that's not sustainable. So I'm not trying to take the car keys out of anyone's hands by any mean. I, I can't make that clear enough. But there are a lot of people who are curious about getting around town in other ways. There are a lot of people who don't have a choice. You know, like we talk about, I don't like to say the word transportation alternative, because a lot of people don't have an alternative, like they they don't own a car. So um, not only is it, you know, not very cost effective to own and only rely on a single occupancy vehicle, it's destroying the planet. No one really likes to say it, but it's a fact. We know that. So we need to get serious about better transit, um, something simple that would actually help with that, in my opinion, is as simple as defining sidewalks. We don't define sidewalks in this town as part of the transportation system. That's something that Mode Shift is kind of working on. Um, and it's something that seemingly pretty simple. But there are, um, again, other cities who are doing really good work with a lot of this. There was actually just an article posted about some of um, the stuff that's going on in Flagstaff, and some of that comes down to density. And then we're going to talk about zoning code, which isn't the most sexy topic. But um, when we change how our codes are written, we can actually change how density happens. And then places are more walkable and more bikeable and closer to transit. Um, also, something working with the um, land bank and turning vacant lots into urban community gardens. Um, the distance that food has to travel to get to us, that's a problem. So we know that local food is going to be better as far as reducing greenhouse gases. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things, but I think, again, it comes back to addressing that it is a problem. So acknowledging it again, courageous conversations. No one likes to act like, oh my gosh, the planet's burning. You know, Colorado's on fire. The coast is on fire. We deal with drought here and floods. Like it's, it's <laughs> it was 70 last week and now it's about to snow. Like we just have to get real about it. Um, and yeah. And then come up with an actual plan that in, uh, involves a lot of different moving parts, but um, density, yeah. mobility, recycling yeah so plastic the, bag ban it's all it's all connected still i guess we keep coming yep. back to that like the answer is what how do we address this is it sort of we come back to well everything needs to sort of shift and yeah be updated. we need to get real about these problems and addressing them and not just only focusing on the good i mean everyone likes to pat themselves on the back for the things that are going well but we also need to get real about the things that are not going that well and yeah, yeah just keep coming back to stop ignoring the bad we need to address it courageous conversations. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking today with Sarah Johnson, who is running to represent District 1 on Omaha's City Council. This is part of a series of conversations I've done with people who are running in Omaha's municipal election. Please check out the other conversations with the other people running wherever you get podcasts. Well, part of why I think climate change is notable to bring up is this idea that we can all just kind of keep the status quo and we don't have to be that brave. We don't really have to change that much is ignoring the fact that you, you really can't just status quo the climate without change. I mean, the, those those two yeah. don't really work that way. And I think a lot of people, especially young people, get uh, they, they lose faith in the city, the state, um, even in just the, the future because they see people not acknowledging it in general. 
Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, to, to change that, to have those conversations, it's, it's, it kind of also goes back to the different cultures within Omaha, though, right? Because some people would like to pretend that the status quo is fine and that'll work forever. And other people feel like, well, they're never going to change. So I guess it's hopeless, right? So it, it's kind of, it's this, it's this kind of worms you have to engage with and try to find a way to, to like, how do you, how do you get those people to have common ground? I don't know how to do that. That sounds really hard to me. It know. does sound hard, but I think, again, just acknowledging that it's hard, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. Nothing that's good comes out of doing nothing. You know, like I've tried it. It's not working. And I've tried Well, and of course, I've tried to do a lot of things and that's not really necessarily working either, because I think that if you're not in a position where you are the decision maker, you can just get brushed off or you can get ignored and you can, you know, I, I don't know. I'm I, I'm sick of trying to ask for permission to do things that our common sense. And we need to just, we just need to move some of these plans forward. Again, I'm not creating a lot of these ideas. It's not just like Sarah Johnson has this idea. Let's do it. It's like, no, there are plans. We've been in conversations for a decade about some of these things that are still just a policy on a shelf. That's not helping us. We need to actually implement some of these plans. So best case scenario, your your vision is enacted and you collaborate with all these other cool people who get elected to the council. What does Omaha look like in 10 years? My friends are moving back because it's so cool here instead of moving away. That's a big problem. I, I have just two, two more friends this last week are like, I'm moving to Chicago. I'm moving to Seattle. I'm like, oh gosh, it breaks my heart. But also I don't really blame them. It's, it is hard to stay here when you are someone that um, wants a little bit more progress and you just, you know, <sighs> then Rickett speaks or something and you're like, oh no, why am I here? But um, yeah, I think honestly, better transit. I'll, I'll start with just mobility again. Um, a world-class city has ways to get around without a car. So that, that and again, we know that that is going to help our disproportionately um, affected, marginalized historically uh, community members. We need to get serious about probably a north-south connection with orbit, like along Dodge Street's fine. And again, Metro did all the studies and decided that Dodge was where they wanted to start. That's fine. But an expansion of that system would be great. I would really like to be able to get to the airport um, on a bus without having to, you know, I mean, they, there is a route that goes there, but it's really basically just for people that work at the airport, not for travelers. Um, I think, uh, I think that our economic response to COVID has, has not been great. I, uh, as a small business owner, I understand how scary it is to, to operate a small business, not during a pandemic. So the fact that we've got all these small businesses struggling that are not getting the support that they need, I would like to see outdoor dining expanded. I would like to see um, just a more robust strategy to help these small businesses survive and thrive through COVID and beyond. So in 10 years, I want there to be more small businesses that have, you know, have gotten through all of this. Um, I also think that development is something that we haven't really talked a lot about, but I got made fun of by a council member actually for speaking out against TIFF the other day, which um, part something else that we haven't really talked about, but I, I want to take shame out of government. Um, I think it's really unfortunate when council members are condescending to their constituents. That's something that I think really needs to change because I think there needs to be more engagement with government, not less. And when you talk down to your constituents and residents, that's not the way that needs to happen. Well, also um, maybe, maybe we could have more shame on the, on the you know, like maybe the, the people elected could have some shame occasionally. Be, that would be nice. Just be, yeah. yeah, be allowed to like apologize and have some shame and do human things yeah. instead of yeah, yeah, be a human. What a concept. That's something that you know. Again, across the board, like I think a lot of these women who have stepped up, and it's you know, I don't want to say that just because I'm a woman or just because all of these women leaders are stepping up, that's gonna. It's like it's because of the character of these women. But we're talking collectively about bringing compassion and empathy and listening skills to city hall. Doesn't that sound refreshing? Uh, that's something I'm excited about. Um, another, another thing in 10 years, get out of this housing crisis. We know that we're at an 80,000 unit shortfall. That's crisis level. Uh, you know, rather than just like make panhandling illegal, why don't we not criminalize homeless people? Why don't we help them? So we know there are ways that it can be done. Um, Finland has a really interesting model where there are no strings attached. It's actually cheaper to provide housing for folks instead of just arresting them again and again on a loop. We, uh, you know, we haven't talked at all about policing, but I think getting to the root cause of some of these issues really is what we need to be doing because uh, I talk a lot about proactive measures instead of reactive and we aren't we aren't really looking at it holistically in that regard um 
some other things about housing, uh, you know, Mode Shift is kind of adjacent to the missing middle housing um, organization. ADUs, again, back to some zoning stuff, like there's a lot of ways that we can attack this housing problem, but it has to be, um, again, addressed, acknowledged as a problem. You can't pass one little ordinance about letting tiny homes exist at the Sienna Francis house and pat yourself on the back. Like that wasn't even a city project. Um, but we, we just have a lot of work to do. Um, updating the housing element of the master plan. It hasn't been updated since I believe the nineties. That's a problem. Um, a way that we can tie environmental justice into housing is some code adjustments there and some building stuff. We could mandate some more um, efficiencies built into new construction. Um, we could tie some more requirements to TIF. If we're going to be awarding TIF, there needs to be an affordable housing element involved. Okay. I, I could go on. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, well, let's, let's pick a couple here so, since we have, we're st starting to run the clock here, but uh, let's talk about TIF for a second. Um, first off, I always have my uh, city council, the, the people running, explain TIF because I, I, I basically get what it is, but I guarantee you you'll explain it in a, a snappier way than me doing all my ums and uhs and like kind of stumbling over words. So what, what is TIF and how do you feel about it and uh, what would you like to see change okay so tiff i actually i should get out i just was in uh so women who run put together this like what is tiff and how can we learn more about it because it is pretty complicated um but effectively you you know so with the crossroads for example mm -hmm. i'm not going to be able to find my exact notes but um you know they buy it for x amount of dollars and instead of paying the increase as the value goes up it freezes where it is for 15 years so that's you know, in the case of, of Crossroads, $80 million. That's a lot of money. They're not just writing a check for $80 million. I, I don't want it to, you know, it's not an award of here's a check for $80 million. It's a, they, they get a loan from a bank and then they're not paying the increase on taxes for 15 years. So um, there hasn't really been an impact assessment to showcase how many dollars we are not getting from all of these projects, um, but it's a lot. And especially when we know that affordable housing is a problem um, and workforce housing, you know, there's different levels of housing uh, dollar wise requirements. Um, we don't even, we don't even define affordable housing. Um, they, part of what's tied to TIF is it has to be considered blighted. Uh, that's fascinating to me that the central part of the city can be considered blighted. So I don't know, TIF is very complicated and um I didn't probably explain it in a real snappy, easy to understand way, but it's because there is so much to it. Um, but I think the main thing is it's not being really utilized. It can be a tool. I'm not against TIF. That's the other thing. Like I want to make sure it's clear that I think TIF can be used in important ways. I just think that right now it's being handed out too freely. And of course, you know, it's like everybody wants free pizza, but guess what? The pizza's not free. Someone's, <laughs> someone's making the pizza and, you know, this money could be going to public schools. It could be going to fixing potholes. Like there are different ways that this money could be spent. If we're giving it to developers, there need to be more strings attached. I guess that's my, my short yeah. story on TIFF. Well, and part of the, the criticism here has been just the amount, right? That it's, it's drastically more than has been given out in previous Omaha cases. Mm -hmm. So that particular $80 million allotment, that was the biggest single allotment. But um, if you look at like Midtown Crossing or Exarban Village over the years and different projects in those developments, it has added up to more than 80 million. Because I actually, I had a couple hour long conversations with Lockwood Development about how um, they could tweak it a little bit to make it more bike walk transit friendly. Um, they were pretty open to talking. And that was, that was, you know, I was grateful that they were interested in having the conversation and being good listeners. Because again, I value good listening. Um, but I just think that the way that the city says yes to everything is maybe just could be done a little bit differently. Okay. So we have a couple of minutes left. What's something else that we didn't talk about here that you want to make sure your message gets out about? I just think that I'll keep coming back to communication. Um, I am interested in more back and forth between residents, not just constituents, because even if you're not voting, you still live here. You know, even if you're 17 or if you're a felon and you can't like for whatever reason, if you're not voting, that's OK. It's about who lives here and how decisions are made in our backyard without our input. And that's what I think at, at the base of a lot of this. That's why I'm running for city council in District 1, because I don't like it when decisions are made in my backyard and I'm not part of that conversation. Um, I'm also really interested in participatory budgeting, because, again, it's our money. We should be the ones that are helping decide where it goes. 
Um, and then, yeah, I just think getting real about the dual pandemic of COVID and racism. Um, I'll just continue to go back to that because I think that until we focus on some of these issues, we aren't going to be able to fix it. And um, it's not always the easiest conversation to have, but I think in order for us to feel like it's a, a city where everyone feels invited and included, that's what we have to do. And where can people go to find more information about the issues that we didn't have time to get into here today? Yes, since I do talk a lot and maybe didn't cover everything, um, yeah, I would definitely like people to go to my website, which is sj the number four oma dot com, um, and there you can you know donate, volunteer, get a yard sign, and let me know what you're thinking about because that's again that's it's really important to reiterate that it's not about me. I am running to be a representative, which means I need to know and I want to know what District One is thinking about. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really enjoyed getting to know you as more than just the bike girl. Yes, indeed. Hopefully city councilor in district number one. Thank you very much for your time, Tom. This was a good, good conversation. Sarah Johnson is running to represent district one on Omaha's city council. Are you wondering who else is running on Omaha to, to be on the council, to be the mayor, etc.? Well, here in luck. In case somehow you've gotten this far and don't know it, Riverside Chats has been doing conversations with all kinds of people running in Omaha's municipal election. You can find those conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe to Riverside Chats today to get access to our most recent 50 episodes. And because these are all recent, they are all free right now. So go ahead and check those out. Get to know the people who want to represent you. Get to know them on a human level rather than just the sound bites. While you're there, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Or you don't want to leave a review on an app because you're not you're not one of those guys who likes to do app reviews. There's easier ways to leave us comments. Follow us on social media. We've got a Facebook. We've got a Twitter. We've got an Instagram. Those are the big ones. Those are the ones that I understand what they are. And I'm, now there's new ones where I'm like, wait, what is that? How do I find that one? Is it a comment thing? Is it a video thing? I, we're not on those ones because I don't understand what they are, but we're on the big ones, I think. So leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. Do you like the episodes? Who else should I be talking to? Do you Are you doing something cool? Do you need to be on the show? Let us know. Follow Riverside Chats on wherever, whatever the thing is that you like to do social media on that you think I might also uh, be aware of. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarbon Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matugowitz. I'm Tom Noblock, and as always, thank you for listening.